All right, you guys, John chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Let's kick off with that. Uh, It says this. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Okay, so we're, we're introduced to this guy who is a Pharisee named Nicodemus. Now, if you grew up in a Christian environment or home, you probably have heard the name Nicodemus. Uh, but it's first important for us to understand just who and what are Pharisees, right? Uh, Pharisees, uh, during those days, they had this zeal to obey God's law. In fact, Judaism teaches that the Old Testament had 613 commands, The Pharisees were a religious group committed to obeying every single one. Like to the point where when a man became a Pharisee in front of three witnesses, uh, they would pledge to uphold every detail of the law for the rest of their life. They were so committed to obeying each command that they even developed additional commands to ensure they didn't mistakenly violate one of those commands. Okay, some of you have created some New Year's resolutions. Maybe you made them public, maybe you didn't. And, and maybe one of them was, uh, I am not going to open the refrigerator door after 7 p.m. I've seen what's happened. That needs to go away. So you've made a command in your house that you will not open that door. See, the Pharisees obeyed that, and then they went a step further to where by 7 o'clock, we're not allowed in the kitchen. Okay, so every law that was there, the Pharisees then took to another level, to another degree, so that they couldn't even mistakenly disobey one of those commands, okay? We call people like this psychos. Um, Just kidding, no, we don't. Uh, They were so committed (laughs) to obeying, And, and so... What we see is Nicodemus is, is, is not only one of them, but we also see that he is a man of high authority in the religious leadership of Israel. He's a member of the Sanhedrin, which is kind of like the Senate uh, for us. It's the, the ruling body of the Jewish people. There's 70 uh, men, and there's a high priest that leads this group, and, and they would rule uh, and govern the nation uh, under Rome's watch. Nicodemus is one of those select few men. So he's clearly a man with authority. He's got influence. Morally, people look up to him and go, that's the guy. And so he goes, it says, and meets with Jesus at night. Now, um, there's a lot of different like theories as to why he met with him at night. It doesn't say why. We don't know if he was embarrassed to meet with him during the day. We don't, we don't know if uh, just their schedules weren't working out and, and Jesus is busy and Nicodemus is busy and the nighttime just seemed to work out best. We don't, we don't know why, but, but for whatever reason, they meet at night and this, this powerful individual, this guy with this authority with this reputation, he sits down with Jesus, and as he addresses Jesus, he approaches him with kindness and respect. He addresses Jesus as rabbi, which means teacher, and it's literally a title of respect that you would give. Uh, 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 in other words, by calling Jesus rabbi, he's actually greeting Jesus as an equal, which is probably a little foreign to Jesus, right? Because there's been some hostility towards him. 
And so to sit down with this, with this man of, of, of character, um, to Jesus, you know, is, is probably very encouraged by what he says. But then notice also the words that Nicodemus says, because he says, we know. Okay, so he says, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Okay, so, so in other words, what we need to understand is Nicodemus isn't just speaking on his own behalf. He's having this conversation on behalf of other religious leaders that are there. Because he says, we acknowledge, we have seen. Um, and, and what does he state? He's stating literally that you, it's very clear from us that you are a teacher from God. And what we also see is, um, you know, it was three or four weeks ago when we were finishing chapter two, and it kind of finished where Jesus had gone in and, and, and cleaned house in the temple, in the courtyard. And it finished with talking about how Jesus did a bunch more miracles and people were believing in him, believing in his power. Now, not believing in him as their savior, Messiah, but believing in the power and, and acknowledging it. And we see that Nicodemus as well comes on behalf of this group of leaders and, and says, listen, it's very clear by your power, by your authority, by how you're, like literally these miracles, it can only be explained as you're from God. Which is pretty encouraging that he's able to identify that, especially because in Luke chapter 11, later on, we hear that other religious leaders attributed Jesus's power to Satan. So, Nicodemus is, is already acknowledging that God is at work here. He says, Jesus, you're a teacher. You've come from God. But once again, he's not confessing Jesus as the Messiah. He's acknowledging that Jesus was sent by God. So how does Jesus respond to that? Well, in verse 3, it says, Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God, okay? So, so literally, when we see this word unless here, you should always pay attention, okay? Like even as a kid, right? You can do this or, or you can't do this unless you do that. Always pay attention to the unless. And we see here that, that Jesus literally responds to him by saying, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. That's a big unless, so unless you're born again, you can't see the kingdom of God. Now, Nicodemus isn't just tracking along going, oh, okay, like this is pretty blunt. This is straight to the heart. This goes against every church growth model, okay? Because, you know, if we had a conversation like this, what are we thinking? Man, how do we just like love this person into understanding who I am, all of that? And Jesus cuts right to the heart of this very impressive individual, and he says, listen, Unless you are born again, you will not see the kingdom of God. Very truth-based approach. And then in verses 4 and 5, it says, Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So, so Nicodemus hears what Jesus says, and he's totally confused, okay, just as you probably be as well. 
Okay, Jesus essentially says, unless you're born again, you cannot have a part of God's kingdom. And, and, and Nicodemus is like, now hold on a second. This makes no sense. So you're saying me, a grown man, how am I supposed to give back in the womb? Like that does not work out. But what we know and see is Jesus isn't referring to a physical birth. He's talking about a spiritual birth. The spirit of God makes a person alive and new from the inside. This new birth happens when God's spirit transforms the human spirit, making a person who was spiritually dead alive to the things of God. Okay, in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, it says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. In 1 Peter 1, 3, uh, it says this, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So this is experiencing that, that supernatural transformation of my soul uh, being brought from this kingdom of darkness, um, uh, you know, uh, literally obsessed with darkness, desiring darkness, and he comes and, 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 and through the, the power of the Holy Spirit takes me out of that and resurrects me, brings me to a new life that is based upon the kingdom of light. Okay, so it's no longer darkness. And Jesus said, this happens when a person is born of water and the Spirit. Now, there's a lot of different thoughts, and, and people associate, oh, he's talking about baptism, and, and you have to be baptized. Like, uh, it's important for us to understand the context here. He's speaking to a Jewish teacher, okay? So he's going to speak in terms uh, that this Jewish, highly respected Jewish scholar could understand and relate to and could remember the significance of. And so as Jesus is saying this, we have to look to the Old Testament use of the word water and the combination of the terms water and spirit to understand what Jesus was saying. According to the Old Testament prophets, um, particularly uh, the prophet Ezekiel, God's people needed two things. They had to be purified and resurrected by the power of God. God made this particular promise in Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 25 through 27. He said, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses and from all your idols, I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Okay, so he's using this terminology that, that, that Nicodemus can, can remember, can connect with, and, and he's essentially saying to enter the kingdom of God, a person must be cleansed and raised by the power of the Holy Spirit through the work of God. This is how it happens. That cleansing, that redemption, that new birth, that is all a work of God and, and so as he's having this conversation, talking to this Jewish teacher, Nicodemus is able to start to understand a little bit. But then Jesus goes on to say in verses 6 and 7 here to Nicodemus, he says, That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that 
which is born of the Spirit, is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. So what we see here is, is, is what? Flesh does not produce redemption. No one is born a Christian. Okay, now this is pretty important because a common error uh, that Jewish people made uh, was they thought because they were Jews, because they were descendants of Abraham, that they were automatically in, they automatically had their spot in God's kingdom. But we see all throughout scripture, the Old Testament prophets, and then the teachers in the New Testament keep affirming like, no, that's not true. That's, you're, you're looking at this the wrong way. You're not understanding this. And Jesus is affirming that same thought and continues to teach that throughout his ministry. And I think this is really important for us, you guys. Really important. Maybe you've been born to Christian parents. Maybe you've been raised in a Christian home. Maybe you've gone to a Christian school. Maybe you even went to a Christian college. Guys, none of that makes you a Christian. None of that makes you a Christian. I was talking to somebody the other day, gone to a Christian college. We're talking, we're talking, and, and it becomes very clear they did not know who Jesus was as far as, as the Lord and Savior. They'd never made that decision. And they were literally somebody that you go, there we go. That's what you look like. Guys, I can't, I can't tell you uh, enough. I can't even begin to describe to you how often this happens. I see it when I, when I speak at high school summer camps. I see it all the time because I always do this big altar call on one of the nights. And every time I do that, you guys, there's students that come forward and their youth pastors look at me going, why are they coming forward? That's the pastor's son. That's one of the elder's kids. That's, that's, that's the child that, that every other child goes, they've got it together and they're coming forward and they're weeping, realizing that they had taken this approach to faith, that this is my parents' faith. I fall into this. This is what I do. And, and so they go to church because that's what I do. They read their Bible. They do devotionals. That's what we do. Uh, we, we show up. We serve. We're grateful. That's what we do. But you don't inherit that. You don't, you don't bring that. Like Flesh does not bring redemption. And so we see not only are the Jewish leaders understanding and learning that, that that does not mean that they're saved because of who they are, but for us today, we have to understand that. You guys, this, I, I don't know how many conversations with college students, maybe some of them in this room, who for the first time in their life, because they've never been away from home, all of a sudden they're being confronted, they're being questioned, their faith is being challenged, and they go for the first time, this was my parents' faith. This was never mine. And they make that decision. You know, when, when we were doing baptisms in person on Sundays, and we're trying to make that happen again, every Sunday there were people that would come, adults that would come, all dressed nice, and they weren't planning on getting baptized, and they go out there and get baptized. And I've heard the story over and over and over again. I was baptized, or I thought this, or I just went along with this, but this is the first time I've ever made this my own. Guys, I, I can't challenge you enough. It's gotta be yours. You know, we're all gonna stand before him, and 
And I think some of us were just like, oh, my family, we'll all just hold hands in front of Jesus. No, you're gonna stand before him by yourself. We all will, and that's something that I'm excited about. But guys, you gotta, you gotta decide, is this yours or is this someone else's? He's like, Nicodemus, like, like this is, you don't just get this. There's a decision, there's a choice. And right now, you're on the outside looking in. Okay, you, you, like, like this isn't just naturally, this doesn't just naturally happen unless you're born of the Spirit. Whatever you do and how much you do will not benefit nothing towards entering the kingdom of God. And in spite of all his learning, all his knowledge and understanding to the point where he's a teacher of the nation, Nicodemus had missed it. He was so focused on cleaning the outside that he missed what God had said. See, the Pharisees, they taught and, and they thought that God wanted this radical uh, external conformity and they had missed the promise of the radical internal transformation that Jesus came to bring. And God, God said literally, like, like what he's saying here, here is, I don't want you to clean yourself up. I want to make you brand new. I don't want you to, to, to clean yourself up. I want to make you brand new. New. You guys, we often think that God is only after a clean outside. If I just get things in order, right? If, 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 uh, if I just make better choices, if, if I just avoid sin, Steve, I'm not even going to get online all year. I won't even go down that street. If I just avoid sin and try harder, if, if, if I just go to church, Right? If I just go to church or, or go more often or get online more often or add podcasts uh, more often or, or just look nice, right? Like look like what a Christian, I guess, should look like, then God will be pleased with me. Then he will love me more. Then he will accept me more and, and, and he'll bless me more. That's, that's, that's what you hear. But you guys, God's not interested in your personal remodeling project. He wants to remake you from the inside. See, man, this last year, 2020, I don't know about you, but for me, I went to the hardware store more in 2020 than I had previously every other year of my life combined. No joke. My wife's at this gathering. She can confirm it because I am not the guy that's like, hey, I'll see you at Jerry's. Like, no. Like for me to go into Jerry's, it was like a ghost in the headlights, right? But I'm like, no, thank you, YouTube. I belong. Okay. And so I go in there and, and, you know, unprecedented do-it-yourself projects, right? A lot of you don't, don't act like you don't know what I'm talking about. You've been consumed in your yards. You've been consumed in your homes, uh, your bathrooms. I've seen some of you there, okay? Even with your masks on, God sees you. So we're there and that sounded horrible. I am not God by any means, but he sees us. That sounded bad. This is online. Just erase it. Okay. That could come back around, man. Uh, Dangers of live stream. So we go in and, and, and we start identifying these projects, the materials that we need to make, because we have this idea of what this space or this outdoor area could look like. And we go through that process and we're excited about it. You guys, um, the problem and the danger is we take that same approach into our relationship with God. And we actually teach it. That, hey, if you just make these changes in your life, if you stop doing that, if you start doing this, if you start reading this and this and listening to that, then you're going to be right. You're going to be okay. 
But in reality, like, like God is not trying to do a, a renovation. You guys, he's doing a rebuild. There is a big difference between a renovation and a, re, a rebuild, amen? Uh, Money-wise, and who's doing it? Renovation, let's try it. Rebuild, who do we pay? Totally different. And it's a totally different mindset in our relationship with God. Because a, a, a renovation means I have something to do with it. A rebuild is acknowledging that only he can do it. And guys, that's, that's what essentially has to be done. And Nicodemus has lived his entire life assuming his religious credentials guaranteed him a place in God's kingdom. And now Jesus is, is saying, the first person to say this to him, you're wrong, you've been wrong, you can't be good enough to get into the kingdom of God. Jesus tells the people in, in Matthew chapter 5, 48, he, he says this, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Imagine if you're sitting there listening to Jesus say this. You must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Okay, I don't know about you, but I would get up and be like, well, this religion is not for me. I can't do that. That's impossible. You guys, that's exactly Jesus's point. That's the whole point, is you can't be perfect. You won't be perfect. See, because you can't be perfect, you don't measure up. You can't measure up. You could do all of these things. You'll never measure up. It'll never equal that you're worthy enough. And so by him saying that, he's pointing to them that you have a need for a redeemer. Someone that can do that on your behalf. See, in, in Romans chapter 3, verse 20, uh, it says, for by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. In other words, the more you understand, the more you learn the law, the more you try harder to complete and fulfill all the demands of the law, what it reveals is how you cannot keep the law. Like the law was brought about so that people could see their need for Jesus. Because you can't keep it. You can't possibly do all those things. And so that's exactly the point here. That's what Jesus is trying to get across uh, to this incredible individual. Guys, you can't be perfect, and we're all far from perfect, so we needed to be made new. Our corruption from sin, it demands a redemption from God. We need a new birth. Verse 8, it says, The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Guys, Nicodemus is just kind of floored here by this news, but, but, but Jesus explains how this new birth happens. This new birth is a sovereign work of the Spirit, and it's evidenced in a person's life. And, and, to, and to help bring clarity to this, he, he uses uh, an example. He uses the wind to illustrate the Spirit's work. He says the wind blows where it pleases, and so does the Spirit. In other words, you can't do anything to make yourself come alive spiritually. You may be able to clean up the outside, but you cannot remake the inside. You can't keep enough rules. You can't give enough money. You can't attend enough gatherings or memorize enough verses to have this. Titus 3.5 says, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. 
by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Guys, you didn't do anything to be born physically into this world. And you can't do anything to be born spiritually. If you're not a Christian, you won't become one by effort, by ability, or sacrifice. If you're a Christian, you didn't become a Christian because, man, you were just a little smarter than everybody else, or you just appeared a little more lovely and uh, that, or God just kind of needed you a little more than other people. No, that's, that's not at all the case. You're a Christian because the Spirit of God swept through your heart out of his grace, out of his mercy, and brought you to life. He made you alive to God. You know, we, we may not know, I love how he puts this, we may not know where the wind is coming from or where it's going or why it's blowing, but we know when it's there, right? Um, man, I don't know if it was a week ago or a week and a half ago, we had crazy wind. There's a wind advisory and it was just blowing all over the place and, and, and it was very evident, it was very clear to see and for us, we have some cheap patio furniture and it was literally getting lift off and and so it was just clear, like, it's very, very windy. Guys, when, like, like, you know, the Spirit, you may not see the Spirit or understand or, or know where it's coming from, what the Holy Spirit's doing, or why it's, it's, it's impacting in this moment with these people. But you guys, it is always clear and evident that the Spirit is, is there and that the, it's the work of the Spirit. It's always evident. Okay, like, it's not like, I wonder what happened here. Like, like literally, if you, my wife's from the Midwest, and, and, and if you ever go and drive through a place where a tornado had hit, it is very clear that something happened here. Something different, right? Winds mess this place up. You guys, uh, when we look at what the Holy Spirit does, you guys, when, when we think about this, 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 this picture of, of the wind, when the Holy Spirit blows into a person's soul, there is unmistakable evidence of what's just happened. Okay, it's not just they're the same. It's not just, oh, they think the same. They have the same worldview or, or, or they talk the same. They have the same struggles. It's just, oh, but now they believe in God. Like, no, and I actually feel like that is our problem in Christian culture right now. Is, is we've literally belittled the work of the Spirit, belittled the new birth, and we've just said, hey, you can still believe that, think that, uh, be about that, um, have that struggle and everything else, but just believe in God. In other words, let's just tie God to all our performance. And so we have people that, 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 that there, there is no evident uh, difference, uh, difference. There's no evidence of difference in their life. The only thing that's changed is, oh, I believe in God. I'm a Christian. Guys, it is unmistakable. It is undeniable when the Holy Spirit has literally resurrected your life. And in 1 John 3, 9, it says, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning for God's seed abides in him and he, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. You guys, what does that mean? That means you were about the kingdom of darkness. He has literally rebirthed you into the kingdom of light. And so anything in my life, in my mind, in my heart, my struggles that is in opposition to the kingdom of light based upon the authority of scripture, I will not be okay with it. I will not be okay with it. That's evidence of the Spirit's work in my life. So in other words, if you are the same that you were before, 
The same belief, the same ideology, uh, the, the, the same sins, the, all those things. You guys, I gotta question some things. I gotta question, has transformation even actually happened in your life? Because it's, it's very clear. If, if it has happened, it is evidenced. Guys, I pray that people that used to know you, that know you now, if you're a Jesus follower, they go, man, it's crazy. I pray that people walk into this church for the first time and see so-and-so and go, oh my goodness, <laughs> yeah, it's a crazy story. I'm glad he's here. Like, like I pray that it's evidenced. I, I, I pray that it's very clear for people. In verses nine and 10, Nicodemus responds. He says, Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? So Nicodemus is so puzzled. He's shocked. He's puzzled at what Jesus is saying. How can these things be? And Jesus responds in probably not the most, well, in our minds, it doesn't seem loving, but he says, he just says, are you the teacher of Israel and you do not know these things? How many of you like that when someone walks up to your cubicle or your office space and says, is this not your job? How do you not know this? And so Jesus literally says that. And then we see the heart where he just says, it's inexcusable for you, Nicodemus, this prominent scholar. It's inexcusable that you're not familiar with the foundational new covenant teaching from the Old Testament as, 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 as how salvation comes about. It's, it's unacceptable. In, in 2 Timothy 3.15, uh, we see Paul writing this and he says, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. In other words, with your history, with your upbringing uh, in the Old Testament, you have been well acquainted with the sacred writings. And it says, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So enough is there to point you to salvation. And Nicodemus is just this example of the numbing effect that external legalistic religion has on a person's spiritual perception to the point of even blocking the revelation of God. Guys, this, is, this right here is the danger. It's, there's this danger of allowing yourself to drift into a legalistic routine. And you can get caught in absolutely anything becoming a legalistic routine. Church attendance can become a legalistic routine. Reading your Bible can be a legalistic routine. Prayer can become a legalistic routine. Giving can be a legalistic routine. All these things that can be incredible can also be a legalistic routine. Do you think that the law was created as something that was bad? No, once again, it was, it was created to point people to Jesus, but because it had become a legalistic routine, something you do, something you don't consider, you just do, it's the right thing, it's what I'm supposed to do, and, and, so, and so you just get on this road of just doing, 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 and over time, you lose the heart of God in what you're doing, and you totally miss out on, the reason you're doing it is actually to meet with God. And church, that's our problem. We just get into this routine, and, and we don't say legalism, because ooh, but it becomes that to the point where the heart is no longer there, to where even the purpose behind what we're doing is lost. 
And so we have to continue to fight against that, you guys, because that's what the enemy wants. He wants you to get in a routine because ultimately the, the greatest warning here is this. He had gotten in such a legalistic routine that even the scriptures that he was uh, an expert in were being blocked by that legalism. He was just going. He was just doing. And he was accomplishing Guys, his ignorance also exemplified Israel's spiritual bankruptcy. We read in Romans chapter 10, verses two and three, it says, for I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. In other words, yeah, they are zealous and doing all these things, but um, it's not in alignment with the knowledge and understanding of who God is. They're not submitting to him. And then the, the last few verses for today, in verse 11, it says, truly, truly, this is Jesus talking, truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the son of man. So the first step, what Jesus is saying here, the first step is just to believe in the testimony of Jesus. Believe that what he's saying is true. It's not this respect for Jesus. It's, it's not a good opinion about him. Nicodemus had all of that, okay? Uh, it, it's a wholehearted faith, believing every word he says and committing to him. The point Jesus was communicating was that he had the authority to speak on behalf of these eternal truths because of what he's seen, because of what he's done, and ultimately because of where he's been. Listen, Nicodemus, I'm not one of them. I've actually been there. I've come from heaven. You're talking to the son of man here. And yet what? Sadly, Nicodemus and his fellow religious leaders were choosing in that moment to reject that testimony. Guys, people must be changed by God. The disposition of their heart by nature, and we need to remind ourselves this, their disposition by nature does not want to do God's will. And it has to be changed by the power of the Holy Spirit. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 14, it says, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. You guys, humanity's natural tendency is not to run to Jesus. Why do we keep treating and judging and looking at people like we think that's what they should just be doing? That's not their natural tendency. That wasn't your natural tendency. And so, so we need to be reminded of the reality of that, 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 that if not for the Spirit, we would be in opposition. We would be fleeing uh, 
who God is and what he's about. Listen, and I love how one theologian put it. If you have in your heart today any affection for Jesus at all, it's because the Holy Spirit in his sweetness, in his power, in his mercy, and in his grace has been to the cemetery of your soul and has raised you from the dead. Man, I love that. So you are a now, so you're now alive to the things of Christ and you rejoice in the kingdom into which he's brought you into. I just, I think we need to stop right here and just say, you guys, if you're a Jesus follower, we need to be more gracious to those people who aren't. Please hear me on this. We are looking at people, groups of people, culture, and we are saying this about them, thinking this about them, judging them in a way that communicates that they're a Jesus follower. But guess what, you guys? They're not. They're not. Why are you holding people to a standard that they're literally, they have no desire to be about? Guys, that's how we're treating people. And, and it's just, it just blows my mind because what it reveals when I lose that graciousness, and guys, I struggle with this as well. I struggle. I'm like, how can you believe that? How can you think that? And then all of a sudden, God starts going, you know, because that's what the Bible does. He goes, hey, remember you? Remember what you were about? Remember what you did? Remember what you said? Remember that struggle? And, and maybe it was even a struggle nobody knew. Remember that? That was you, okay? Remember that? So why are you holding them to a standard? Because, guys, when I start to hold other people to the standard, like they're a Jesus follower, when they're not, you know what I start to do? I start to communicate with my life that I did something to get me to where I'm at. What's wrong with you? That's what they're seeing. That can't be us. That just can't be. That's not the heart of God. That's not, that's not what he's communicating. What he's communicating is, is, is it was through grace and mercy, through the work of the Spirit, and we responded, and he took us from death to life. And so we should be absolutely on our knees when we look at culture, when we look at family members, when we look at coworkers, when we look at other students, and we see where they're at, we should get on our knees, and we should be crying out that the Spirit would intercede in their life versus us logging and throwing all these things their way. What are we doing? Guys, we're acting, we're totally, we're missing it. We're actually becoming those people. Guys, what Nicodemus viewed as his credentials for the kingdom of God were actually his stumbling blocks, keeping him from the kingdom of God. What's keeping you from being born again? We're all gonna stand before him. I wanna close with these two verses. In Ephesians 2, 4, and 5, it says this, and I just think this is perfect. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved. If there is anything holding you back from this God, I beg with you to deal with that today. 
if, if, if you are living in a way that doesn't communicate this message, I, I plead with you to get that right. And if you're sitting here and you go, man, everything has been about my performance, my works, and all of that, and, and I am that Nicodemus, man, let's, let's, let's have transformation takes place today, okay?